Hello and welcome to Solarpunk Presence, the companion podcast to Solarpunk Futures. Hosted by Solarpunk Magazine nonfiction editors extraordinaire Ariel Kroon and Christina Della Rocha. Ariel and I will be using this companion podcast to Solarpunk Futures to explore Solarpunk goings on in the world today. We'll be interviewing all sorts of interesting people who are doing work in the here and now that will help us get to a Solarpunk future. And we'll be talking to each other about the visions of a sustainable, equitable future integral to Solarpunk and about issues we're curious about within the movement or genre or whatever it is you want to call Solarpunk. This is Christina Del Rocha welcoming you to episode three of Solarpunk Presence. In this episode, I'll be talking to Dr. Alain Jacot de Combe, Disaster Risk Management and Climate Change Adaptation Advisor to the National Disaster Management Office of the Republic of the Marshall Islands, known as the RMI for short. Unsurprisingly, then, perhaps, we'll be talking about the major grave threat, namely rising sea level, that climate change presents to the Marshall Islands, and how the Marshall Islands might go about protecting themselves from this now inevitable existential calamity. But first, I need to give you some backstory. The Marshall Islands are a group of 29 atolls and five individual islands in Micronesia in the Western Pacific, falling essentially between the Philippines and Hawaii. An atoll, in case you're wondering, is an island that consists of a ring-shaped strip of land made of coral that surrounds a central lagoon. This will be important to bear in mind when my conversation with Hélène turns to preventing sea level rise from swallowing up the Marshall Islands in their entirety. Somewhat poetically, I guess you would say, considering the circumstance, the Marshall Islands lie just to the west of the International Dateline, meaning that they are literally leading the rest of the world into the future, for better or for worse. Not quite 60,000 people live in the Marshall Islands, and about 98% of them are the descendants of Micronesians who began arriving on the islands about 3,000 years ago. So the people of the Marshall Islands have some pretty deep roots, as much as roots are possible when you live on a coral atoll just a couple of meters above sea level. In terms of the more recent 500 years of history, possession of the Marshall Islands bounced around from Spain to Germany to Japan, finally passing into American hands in 1944. In 1946, the nuclear weapons testing began. 67 atomic bombs were detonated, including the world's first hydrogen bomb in 1952 on Eniwetak Atoll. Most famously, 23 of the bombs were detonated on Bikini Atoll after the quote-unquote voluntary removal of its residents, whose families, again, had probably lived there for thousands of years. In 1979, the Marshall Islands became their own country. The average height of the Marshall Islands above sea level is 7 feet, or 2.1 meters, making them extremely vulnerable to sea level rise. And that seems like a good place to stop the factoids and begin my conversation with Dr. Hélène Jacot Combe. Good morning, Hélène. Although, is it, it's nighttime there, isn't it? Yeah, it's the evening for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you for talking to us. Let me start by asking you what you do <laughs> as the disaster, <laughs> disaster Risk Management and Climate Change Adaptation Advisor to the Marshall Islands. Well, as you have 
describe the Marshall Islands. This is a country that is faced with uh, a lot of natural hazards, uh, typhoons, droughts, um, um, rogue waves, storm surges, and so on and so forth. And some of those threats, if not all, will be made uh, stronger and more difficult to address with, with climate change. And so there is a lot of uh, activities in the country to make the country more resilient and more prepared for this. So my role is basically to help put in place uh, plans, strategies, policies, and tools to help the government to implement them and to support also capacity building program to make sure that we have in country some people who can help the implementation of all those plans so that the, the impacts of those natural hazards and those climate change impact can be lessened. What kind of actions do you, do you think need to be taken to prepare the Marshall Islands for, for climate change? Well, that's where the, 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 the problem becomes a bit big, uh, because the, the key, the key impact from climate change that is a problem for the Marshall Islands is sea level rise. Because mm -hmm. as you mentioned, we're only on average two meters above sea level rise and it's, it will be very problematic. Uh, it's problematic not only because of the, of the slow and continuous sea level rise, but also because of the, um, extreme sea level events becoming more frequent and more intense. You know, the, the extreme sea level events that we see here at the moment uh, due to uh, king tides or storm surges uh, will become more frequent because they will start from a, from a higher sea level. Uh, and so that means that the area that is currently inundated will, will become more important. And that causes problem, of course, for the livelihood of the people. It's never pleasant to be inundated uh, with seawater on a regular basis. It causes a problem on the for the infrastructure because infrastructure, when they are flooded regularly by this uh, corrosive seawater and salted water, they they, they get they, um, they get old and damaged more easily and more quickly. And uh, also, it's also a big problem for the for the water supply because the part of the water supply is from the from the groundwater lands. And with uh, more frequent inundation, these waterlands will become salinated and will not be usable for drinking, cooking, and, and agriculture. So it, it is a, it is a big problem. Um, so at the moment, uh, the, what we call the, the traditional uh, adaptation or risk management, so to say, is to build coastal protection like revetments <clears throat> and seawalls, but that is problematic because that you need to to build them high enough to go against the the, the sea level and the extreme events. But the sea the the, the, the sea walls will not protect you from uh, flooding that comes from the water table rising up because these the the atolls are, are very the soil is very porous is mostly sand <clears throat> so. When the sea level is rising, it pushes up these freshwater lands that I was talking about. And so the lowest part of the atolls may become inundated. So if you only build seawalls around the islands, you can end it up with a swimming pool, which is not exactly a good way forward. So in terms of actions, 
uh, on the short terms, uh, continuing to protect the coast and in the most rural atolls to use nature-based solution, like, for example, protecting the, the coastal vegetations, putting in place uh, coast, uh, buffer zones uh, that are vegetated that protects against the, against the flooding, uh, protect our coral reefs because they break down the, the strength of the waves. So that, that, that are part of the solution. But if we look to a more longer term solution, then we need to start thinking about reclaiming land and raising land uh, in addition to protecting the land. And it becomes uh, technically complicated and extremely expensive. You're out in the middle of the ocean. Where do you get material to raise the land surface? Well, that, that is, that is a question because the thing is that it will be very difficult to, to protect and to raise the land in all the existing atolls or islands in the Marshall Islands. So the idea may be if, if we reach that point to get some sand from, from the different lagoons and to, uh, to, to get them from some islands that we consider will not be viable, but it's a very, very difficult solution. And on top of that, you know, we, we all look, all the, the atoll nations, there are four atoll nations in the world. So the, um, the Marshall Islands, Tuvalu and Kiribati in the Pacific and the Maldives in the Indian Ocean. And the Maldives have uh, created a new, a new land uh, by filling up one of their lagoons. Uh, but the thing is that they could do that because their lagoons are very flat and shallow. Uh, the lagoons here in the Marshall Islands, most of them are very deep and very steep. Mm-hmm. So uh, in Majuro, for example, uh, you do not have that much um, possibility of uh, flat reef on which to, to reclaim land. Those solutions uh, cannot be decided one day for the next. Uh, they will require a long term to, to design uh, to, to, to make, uh, the, the population accept them, uh, to, um, to, fu- and to find the funding for them and then to implement them. So even if we do not need them tomorrow, uh, we need to start thinking of, about them and discussing them now because we will need some, what is called the lead time until we are re- they are ready to, to do what they, what they expect them to do. Reclaiming the land, does that solve your saltwater intrusion problem? Does that help you store more fresh water? Only if you raise it. The, the, the size of the waterlands depends on the size of the island. If you reclaim land, you need to reclaim there in the place when you can have a, a large surface. You know, the, the atolls, sometimes they, they are made of a succession of small islands on a very narrow area. So if you reclaim land there, it will not exactly be useful because mm-hmm. the land will still be narrow and you will not yeah. have the space for big waterlands. So it's better to try to reclaim land around the, the big islands already. Okay, that's interesting. So how, how much higher would you have to build up uh, well, an island? The, the, the thing is that, you know, if, if you want to build up an island, it's not the, something that you want to, to redo every five or ten years. <laughs> so uh, it, it may sound a bit... Um, extreme but you you want to 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 go big on the first time so to say so mm-hmm. i would say you know the, the projections the, the ipcc projections varies between 0.3 meters which is about around one foot and one meter before by the, the end, end of, of this century yeah for the, the end, end of the century so i think that 
and, and we're not exactly currently on the pathway towards the, the one foot sea level mm-hmm. rise. Mm-hmm. We're more towards the, the, the higher one. So I think that nothing less than two meters at least oh, above, the, uh, above the, the current level. But that is probably um, the, 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 the really the bare minimum. Where do you actually see the Marshall Islands being in 50 years? With 50 years worth of climate change that's heading their way, what do you think that's going to actually end up looking like? What the discussion in the Marshall Islands focus on, on in terms of adaptation to sea level rise, they focus on two aspects. The first aspect is to to preserve or to protect the livelihoods of the Marshallese and the economy of the country. So that is one aspect, but for a country like the Marshall Islands that face potential disappearances if the sea level is too high, another important aspect is to protect the Marshall Island as a country. Mm-hmm. And for that, to be a country recognized in the, in the UN system, you need three things. You need, you need land. You need a dry land on which you can have a population and a certain type of government. So in the next 50 years, uh, one of the goals of the Marshall Islands will be to, to plan to protect at least one big islands on which we can have some population living permanently and a government installed to, to, to continue to protect the, the Marshall <coughs> Islands interest. So in 50 years, depending on the, on the, on the, on the greenhouse gas emission that we will see till then, I, I can see a continuation of the trend that we currently see with some people moving from the, the, the most rural atolls toward the urban centers for better access to services like education, health and jobs. So to have those urban and suburban centers to become more densely populated and, and more protected, surrounded with, with, with seawalls and revetments. I mean, if, if we are thinking a bit more forward, we will hopefully have started the, the work to, to protect at least one island for the long term. Because if you want to protect and, and elevate one island on the long term, uh, you have also different, different possibilities. Of course, you have to look what is the best possible islands topographically and geomorphologically. But it's difficult to raise land where you have a lot of buildings and infrastructures already, because that means that you have to relocate the people temporarily to break down those buildings, elevate the land and rebuild. So that is, of course, people think, yeah, if we need to protect one island, we protect the capital because that's where we already have all the infrastructure. But maybe it's not the best, the easiest way. Maybe there is another atoll in the Marshall Islands that is currently less developed and thus will be easier to to elevate. So, but this is only the, the start of the discussion and it, wow. it, it has a lot of different aspects, both technical, um, monetary, and of course, cultural and political. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. So, I mean, first of all, how does a nation of 60,000 people pay for something like that? That's not a lot of taxpayers, you know? Oh, no. No, and it's a very, very small market. But the, there is a, a significant part of the of the of the budget that is um, 
ed related uh, especially in the Marshall Islands uh, we are under um, a, a compact uh, with the with agreement uh, with the, with the with the US and that means that uh, every year the, the government receives money from the US and um, there is also some other uh, aspect of the of the of the compact of, of free association that includes for example the fact that the Marshallese people can go to the US to to work and study without without a visa uh, and, and that we receive a lot of support uh, financial and technical from different uh, government agencies from the US. So alone, okay. this is this is not but, something that the RMI can do alone. They will have to be funded from elsewhere because that we don't have to, we don't have those resources. Okay. All things considered, one one and I say this as an American citizen, one would hope that the U.S. would step up, um, <laughs> given all the damage that that they all the bombs that they've dropped uh, on the Marshall Islands. I, I guess the other question is though, and that sort of related to that, then is like. What do the people think about all of this? What do the people think about having to to pick up sticks and and move to a, a different artificially built up island? And how do they feel about being told they have to do that? And and what part do they play in the decision making process? I realize it's it's very early on, probably, but I'm interested to hear what you say about this. You you're correct. It's it's very early on. I mean, up to now, people will say that yeah yeah sea level rise is a problem and 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 uh, it, it it is a threat for the country but I, I do not we we really only at the very beginning of the discussion about okay what does it mean truly uh, in terms of the, the the real consequences for the people so i think that most of the people in the marshall islands do not realize that yet and so the 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 discussion has started in the in the government agencies but it it has not started at the, at the local government level or at the community or individual level so it's it's really the very beginning and the, the problem is that i mean it's a, it's it is a complicated situation because the marshall islands is a country where you already have migration between the the rural atolls and and the central uh, urban areas as i mentioned people move in for for be- for access to to better services and it is also a, co- a country where because of the compact you also have migration from the marshall islands to the us once again because people want better opportunities for for work for for medical care and, and for education so people are moving around already but at the moment, they will tell you that when they move around, uh, they will cite those those reasons. They, they will never cite, you know, uh, climate change as their reason for moving. And they, and they move with the back of their mind always the possibility to come back. And, and it's a completely different mindset when you have to move knowing that you will not be able to come back. And unfortunately for the Marshall Islands, this is a very... A difficult part because in the recent history, they had to do that and that did not go well. Uh, you, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, um, the nuclear testing in the country. So before they started the test in Bikini, they evacu- the, the Americans evacuated the population of Bikini and they, they brought them to another island. But that island was not 
appropriate to support a uh, human population, even a, a small one, because the island was too small to have uh, a good uh, groundwater lens. So there was very limited water supply. And the people were not exactly asked where they wanted to do. So they were transported there. And th that, that was a terrible situation because without water, there was, uh, there was, uh, food security issues. People, people passed away because of that. So it, it was really a, a big trauma, not only for the people on those, on that island who were later on transferred to another island, but it became, it became part of the, the national trauma associated to this nuclear testing. And, and so the, 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 the concept and the idea of forced migration, even from one island in the RMI to another, is a very, very difficult subject because yeah. all the whole country still have in their memory what happened to the people who were displaced from Bikini. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I would be absolutely furious if something like that had happened in my family's history. Um, and then, so that's a lot of trust that's been lost, which is a shame because, because people will need to move and somehow, well, how do you do it right? It's, it's a very, very difficult issue. And it's even more difficult because in the, and I'm, I'm not the right person to, to talk about that, but the, at the core of the Marshallese culture is land ownership. And so the, the people are really very strongly attached to land. And so it, it makes those decisions even more difficult oh. because you have that, that cultural attachment to, to the land. So that, that is the reason why we, we really need to start to talk about that now, even if it's a, a difficult discussion that nobody wants to have, but because to, 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 to resolve all those issues and to make any solution that has been identified <coughs> acceptable and accepted by the population will take a long time. And the problem is not exactly going to go away either. So it's... No. Wow, they're really... The country is in an existential battle for actual existence. Um, exactly. Which is not just the change in the weather and change in rainfall patterns and warming and all of this, but actual the land will sink beneath the waves kind of a battle. And the thing is that, I mean, we also have a tendency to... Uh, to, to look at the, at the projections for, for climate change and, and sea level rise and, and to see the figure, you know, stop at 2100 and say, ah, yeah. yeah, at the end of the century, it will be that. But in terms of sea level rise, it does yeah. not stop there. No. And even if, if, even if we manage, to, if we are very, very, uh, lucky and, and careful and even if we manage to, to limit the, the global warming to to 1.5 degree, even with that, the sea level is, is is continued to increase by about two to three meters in the next 2,000 years. So of course, 2,000 years is uh, an horizon that nobody cares about. You know, we will not be there. Our children and grandchildren will not be there anymore. Uh, of course, the politician will not ha will not have to to be reelected by that time. But in terms of the survival of the country, you know, it's it's something that you want to to keep in mind, and that means that we, you cannot plan your protection just for 
half a meter of sea level rise because you want to be optimistic by the end of the century. So it's, um, it, yeah, it, it's... Uh, so that's, that's interesting because that gives you an interesting approach, maybe a way you can kind of sell this to the people as a sort of a very patriotic act uh, of, of actually... Yeah, they are they are build they are literally building the future of their country, of their land, of their 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 ancestral homeland. Rather than sell this as a, I mean, obviously it's a disaster. But but on the other hand, if you 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 create this new land and on one of the currently not so heavily inhabited islands, and you can make it into anything you want it to. I mean, within the limits of the funding that you get. I, w- I always wonder if we we can't actually spin this, these things in a in a positive way and get people excited about them instead of just horrified and traumatized and and angry about all the injustices of the past, which are which are still there. But I, do you guys think about that kind of stuff? Yeah, I I, I completely agree with you because the, the thing is that of course it's a trauma. Of course it's not a decision everybody wants to make for for their country, their family, their home. Themselves, but as you mentioned, if it is done well, it is an approach. And if there is a plan to to protect and elevate an island to make it the the future of the Marshall Islands, then it it is a tremendous opportunity to plan it the way we want it and to to make because at the moment we have to admit it that that, that there is not really uh, urban planning in, in the Marshall Islands. You know, so some, so some, the people build their houses when they, when they have, when they are given permission to by, by the landowners. So you have houses that are built, you know, very close to the ocean or to the lagoon side. It, it is an opportunity to, to, to really plan that island to, to, to reflect, to reflect the, the, the Marshallese culture, the Marshallese way of life and to off, offer to the people who will live there, uh, good access to, to utilities and to services. So it's, yeah, you, you, you are correct, but it is still difficult to, to see. I mean, it is easy for me to say that because I am not Marshallese. And if I really feel that the situation becomes unbearable, uh, I can always fly away back home, but it is, it is more difficult for the people who are here to, to go over the, the trauma of this decision to see these opportunities, but it is something yeah. that needs to be done. Yes. Do you think that will happen? Do you think that the people will, will end up getting on board with this and getting excited about it and being, and, and sort of step up and, and take over the, the planning and the implementation of, of the future, the literal future of their own land? Do you think that will happen? I mean, that would, I mean, that would obviously be the, the optimal outcome, I presume. I, I think that now that the people, I mean, at least that we, we are now more aware of the, of the impacts precisely, more precisely of the impact. And I think that there, there is a, there, there is a pride, uh, for the Marshallese to say, well, this is what we want. That, that is what the, the way we want to do that. So I think there is, that is, that is a possibility that you have, uh, some Marshallese, that that will be able to see to see that, and they will take pride of trying to 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 find a solution to to uh, to, to keep their home here somehow, rather than to be to be told that well, you know, uh, you have to migrate to the U.S. So it might not be everyone, but I think that there there is there is that the the question will be how to make that 
acceptable as well to to a donor because since it would not be able to be funded by by Marshallese resources, not only do you have to 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 sell that plan to the Marshallese, but also you need to sell that to the donors, and that will be another difficult task. We are talking about billions there that would be necessary to do that. Yeah, I really don't know what to say. <laughs> um. Well, I, I can tell you that it's much more that is currently received, and and the the the, the small island states. Uh, in the Pacific, receive uh, a bit more help because of their situation. They receive generally more help than in the in the other countries in the world, but that is still not enough by far. That is really mind blowing. What a complicated situation, and but at the same time, also what an opportunity. If if we could just grab it in such a way is to make it turn out as good for everyone as possible, and and to get the average person who lives in the Marshall Islands on board with it. But what a task. What a really humongous task. There is a really a, a strong will from the Marshallese people to, to, to remain here. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it's what they say now. Uh, they may say something different when they're, when they're flooded all the time. But if we can build on this will to, to involve them and to, to make their, their plan and to put them on board to this, to, to this future of the Marshall Islands, that, that, would be, that, that would be possible, I think. Okay, I have to break in here to say we'd been hoping we could end the interview here on this optimistic note, but then we kept talking and we realized the situation was far more complicated. Here is the rest of our conversation. The island that you would most likely use to uh, build up and then move everyone to, it's, um, that's, that's not public land. It's, it's privately owned by a couple of owners. So how, how would that work then? Well, that, that is the case for all the land in the Marshall Islands. All land is basically privately owned. There is very, very limited public land. So all the land is publicly owned, uh, privately owned. There is some lease for, for public buildings and things like that. So th- that, that is, that is one part of, of the big, the, a, a big problem because, uh, land ownership and, and, uh, and the rights, uh, that are associated with that are at the center of the, the Marshallese traditional social organization. So, uh, it, it is, it is two, pro- I mean, it creates two main problems. The first problem is internal to, to the, to the Marshall Islands, basically, so that we still have a rise. If you cannot protect all the islands and you protect only few of them or even one of them, that means that the people who own the land on the, on the islands that will be elevated will protect uh, and will still have the lands, while the people who own land on the, on the islands that will be submerged will, will lose their land. Then suddenly you have a handful of people who own all the land in the country and become very yes. rich, so, very powerful. Yeah. So how do you how do you deal with that that with that problem? So that is an internal problem. The the external problem is that that means that any project to protect and elevate the land will in fact protect and elevate private land. And and generally when you have a, a project uh, funded by uh, you know international donors, uh, international organization, they found a pro- they found project for for the public goods. So they will found project for for public infrastructure, uh, and so for them to fund 
um, a project on private lands will benefit few people might be problematic as well. So th this is this is part of the this is part of the larger discussion that needs to be that needs to be done. Yeah, you can imagine that the donors aren't going to be lining up to to fund building land for a couple of people who will suddenly own the whole country. Um, yeah. Unless, unless of course, you've got businesses who decide to step in and do this instead of instead of international aid organizations or or countries with their or, or countries making you know providing funding. Oh, this is really a thorny mess. I hadn't quite realized that. Yeah, no, it's I mean land ownership and land use and land tenure is uh, is problematic in, in most of the, the 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 Pacific countries because. You have part of the land that is traditionally owned, and uh, and so that that makes the use of those lands very very complicated, and and so it's it's sometimes also a, a, a big problem for the project because some some of the project does not do not accept that, and and can only have projects that are done on public land. Wow, so it sounds like there's almost maybe a 50-50 chance of all of these knots becoming untangled in time to undertake the project in time to save the actual physical manifestation of the country and everyone just going off to America to survive climate change. Yeah, that, that is that is the, the risk that the country face if they do not start the discussion as soon as possible. Because, uh, you know, they, they will reach a point where if no decision is made internally and the risk becomes higher, then there is no other possibility. And that is that is the, the outcome that we absolutely want to, to, to prevent from happening. I would be losing sleep if I was if I had your job. This would worry me quite a lot. This is a a lot of problem to have to to help get people to start solving. The the, the thing is that it's it's a problem that of course people like me can help, but the the real discussion and the real decision should be in the hands of Marshallese. You know, I I could I I and and my colleagues advisor we can provide advice, we can provide suggestion, but the decision needs to be a Marshallese one because it's not only a question of um, building building new infrastructure, building new houses. It's, it's just uh, it's not just a question of technically raising the land, but it's keeping the, the, the livelihood and the culture of the Marshallese alive. And, and that's something that only the Marshallese can do. I mean, yeah. I, ca I can try to provide as much help as I can, but I am not a Marshallese and I will never be. And so this there is part of this culture that, that I do not grasp. And that some of the suggestions I made are completely, I mean, not completely, hopefully, but are, are not uh, relevant because there is this part of the culture that, I'm, that I miss and that, that's, that makes those solutions unacceptable. And it's completely, I mean, and I completely understand and accept that, but it, it's, it, it really needs to be a, a decision and a discussion that takes place within the Marshall Islands. Wow. I hope they get there because... Because what a shame for all of that to evaporate or get spread to the winds and just end up getting resettled in the rest of the world somewhere. That would be a shame. And with that thought, I will say thank you very much for for talking to us um, and giving us this perspective. It's been I find it really, really interesting um, and eye opening 
Um, and it really, for me, it drives home that, that all of this global warming and climate change business isn't just an abstract exercise, but really is, for some people, it's really a truly existential question. Um, and in the relatively near future as well. It was a pleasure to, to, to talk to you and to, to discuss, uh, a bit the Marshall Islands because we are, we are quite isolated. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, not a lot of people know about this country, where it is and, and what it is facing. So it's always a pleasure to share this information. So thank you and have, have a good evening. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to my interview with Dr. Hélène Jacot de Combe, climate advisor to the Marshall Islands. And that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you for listening to Solarpunk Presence, a series embedded within the Solarpunk Futures podcast, written, hosted, and produced by Christina Della Rocha and Ariel Kroon. This podcast is a part of Solarpunk Magazine, which is published by Android Press, which is located on Kalapuya Ulihi, the traditional indigenous homeland of the Kalapuya people. Today, descendants are citizens of the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde Community of Oregon and the Confederated Tribes of the Silets Indians of Oregon. The opening and closing music for Solar Punk Presence is Water Cooler Gang by Monkey Warhol and is available for use under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. So, thank you again for listening, and until the next episode, stay Solar Punk.